<clears throat> that date's wrong. Oh, look at Jeremy back there, fixing it. The date's not wrong. <laughs> um, so, today's March 4th, 2020. I'm really glad. I got really scared with the rain that we were going to have to cancel again, and we didn't. Um, I was just kidding. But uh, we played Gorilla Man Gun when I was in kindergarten <laughs> at Vestavia Hills Elementary East. That was kind of a throwback. Yeah. Is it the same principles? Same principles. Except you, we just, like, threw people around. I mean, yeah, but it was, like, 13 years ago. So it was, it was a good, it was an okay amount of time. Like, is anyone here not 13 yet? I got me. Okay, so, like, they just were born or weren't born yet. But to be fair, like, you graduated high school when I was born, right? Yeah, so I was born in 1999, so you graduated that uh, six months or a year after that. Um, okay. No, that's the point. Uh, tonight we're in 1 John. Uh, we're in chapter 2, verses 12 through 14. Um, <clears throat> I'm going to read out the verse in just a second, and then I'm going to pray. Uh, but just to it's kind of recap, it's going to be a very minimal recap. Um, ultimately, this re- letter is written for two things. Uh, first and foremost, uh, or two things, and one of the things he's doing is he's combating the false teaching of the time, the heresy that's going around, the secessionist party who is promoting things that are contrary to sound doctrine and uh, contrary to scripture. And then the other thing he's doing is to present uh, assurance and hope uh, to the Johannine community. So he's writing, uh, this is the elder John, he's writing directly to these uh, circle of churches in order to build them up and to assure them in their faith and remind them of the gospel they agree on, remind them of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So that's what we're doing as we look through here. Last week, Brandy taught. Uh, he went through First John 2, 7 through 12. Uh, and one of the big things we talked about was motives. So my dad used to say, and Rand might have said this actually uh, when he was in, when we were at Ponderosa, uh, for those of you who were there. My dad used to tell us all the time when we were leaving or going out somewhere, um, hey, feed the good dog. And you, you kind of got what that meant. Um, but essentially, you're always feeding something. You're, whatever you're doing, whatever your motives are, Something about you is being fed, and it's either the old sinful man within you, because you're doing things that are self, of self-interest or, or to yourselves and for the furthering of your own interest, or, or you're feeding the good dog, and you're glorifying God in that. So as we looked at motives last week, you know, your motives, your, uh, really your actions will out you. You'll, you'll know exactly, or people around you by looking at you will know where your loyalties are, what you love, the things you dedicate yourself to because it's so evident in your actions. So what typically, and this is not a, a catch-all, but typically the thing you spend the, uh, the most of your time doing is what you're feeding the most. And so if you spend the most of your time doing things that are pointless, you're feeding something that doesn't really give you anything. And this, this isn't a, something for me to get up here and teach you some legalistic principle of uh, dedicating time, but uh, you just should think about these things, especially in light of the text last week, that the thing you spend the most of your time doing, I guess all of you are still in high school and elementary school, so a lot of your things going to school right now. Um, elementary school, middle school. Thanks, Sam. Um, but just, just think about it. As you're dedicating the free time you do have, where are you spending it? Uh, where are you putting those things? Um, but the reason I say that is, is this week, we're kind of looking, John opens up in three verses in, in 12 through 13 of what his intentions are, what his motives are behind writing the text, uh, and really just where his heart is uh, for the people he's writing to. So uh, I'm, I'm going to read a text uh, of tonight, and then I'm going to um, pray. I'm reading it first. Uh, I'm writing to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. I'm writing to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I'm writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I write to you, children, because you know the Father. I write to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. 
I write to you young men because you are strong and the word of God abides in you and you have overcome the evil one. Dear Heavenly Father, uh, as we look at tonight's text, I pray that we may see you in it, Lord, that we may be reminded uh, of the gospel and the nature of Jesus Christ and who he is. I pray as we focus this little time, Lord, that we'd have no distractions, but we would look as your, at your text as authoritative um, and as just the word uh, of life, Lord. I, I thank you for the kids here, and I pray that um, they may see the authority of your text, Lord, that they may just have a saving knowledge of who Jesus Christ is. Uh, Father, I thank you um, for this night as you've brought us to it, and I'm thankful that you'll bring us through it, Lord. And I just thank you so much for your grace that you just show so much to your children. It's in your son's holy name I pray. Amen. Amen. Okay, so as as we start off examining John's motive, there's three things he does uh, in the text, um, or or three groups he addresses. So he, he talks to the little children, then he talks to the fathers, and then he talks to uh, the young men. So he always says it in that order. He starts with the little children and moves on. But it's important uh, as we look at that first address. I write to you little children. John isn't writing to um, your younger brothers and sisters or the people in Kids Equip. Um, I mean, he is because they're a part of the church. But like, he's not directing his attention there. Little children is how he's responded uh, or how he first named his congregation um, earlier uh, 1 John 2 and how he does it in 1 John 2, 13 and 3, 7 and 3, 18 and 4, 4 and 5, 21. He consistently is referring to this body as little children and he does so because he loves them. He's very affectionate with them and he has this understanding relationship of who they are. So John is very familiar with the people he's writing to and actually that familiarity is the basis that we're going to look at tonight. The reason he's so familiar with them is why he writes like he does tonight. So, uh, the little children, like I said, is the entire congregation. It's not uh, like he's picking out the young ones. He's picking out the entire body. Um, that's what you were doing. I was so curious. Um, <laughs> secondly, he addresses the fathers. So as he moves on from little children, as he's addressed the congregation as a whole, he then moves on to the fathers. And what he's doing then is acknowledging the men who are older in the crowd. So he's addressing the fathers, the people who have been there since the beginning and have been a part of this church the entire time. And then he addresses the young men who have come in or are a part of the church but still have been there. So he's addressing them in these three different sanctions, and he does so in such a way that he's not only listed with his little children but then addresses each group of people so they know that his intention is to write to them. He's being very specific with how he's trying to write. So... Now we're going to move into the real content of, uh, of the lesson, and there, there's several things that he has. I, I, I was going to say a number to eight, uh, I mean one to whatever, but I have A to G different things that he just addresses very specifically with uh, the congregation. So first and foremost, we're going to look in verse uh, 12. Verse 12, and see this. <clears throat> I'm writing you, little children, because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. So he starts here. As he started this address with his familiar uh, points he's making, he starts there because that ultimately is the most important thing about the unification of the body he's writing to. Is he's writing to them because their sins are forgiven and because of whom forgave their sin or for his, for his namesake. So uh, this isn't an unfamiliar principle. We see that in First uh, John 1, 7, uh, as we've already seen it in this text. And then we see it again in Acts four twelve, uh, And there's salvation for no one uh, in no one else 
For there is no other name under heaven for which we may be saved. We see it again in Ephesians 1.7. In him we have uh, redemption through his blood to forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. Not to mention we see it in Acts, in Colossians, and uh, again in 1 John. So this theme is actually centric to Christian identity. And now we're just going to kind of camp out on this. Their sins are forgiven. So we, and Safe Haven does this as a principle in Hopefully, all churches do this, but we start with an understanding of who we are before the Lord, okay? So John uh, talks about how they've been changed, um, but we start with this understanding that we are sinners before God. We are not good. We are not holy. We are filthy and worthless, okay? So that's the understanding that we walk into, um, I'm sorry, that we're born into. That's who we are. That is a part of our identity, so what John is doing, as he starts there, he's saying, I'm writing to you because your sins are forgiven. So he's not questioning that. He's not trying to ask them if they're saved. He's not looking for a fruit of their salvation. He's seen it. And he's telling them, I'm writing to you because your sins are forgiven. And he moves in to just the importance and how we get that forgiveness <clears throat> for his namesake. Your sins are forgiven for his namesake. And God saved you in order to get his glory in you and that you're being his children and he loves you and he wanted to save you and secure your redemption. But also, he did it through his son, Jesus Christ. You know, there's, a, there, there's beauty with the idea that the eternal God, instead of giving you this means of work you have to do to accomplish salvation, has given it to you by becoming incarnate flesh and then... Dying. So we see in Romans that the weight of sin, I'm sorry, the wages of sin is death, and we need to pay that. And so Christ, for his name's sake, forgave our sins by offering himself as the means of salvation. Okay? So John starts here. That's the principle of what he's saying. He wants to be reminded hey, this is the most important thing. I'm writing you because we're unified in this. You're forgiven, and we're united in Jesus Christ, which again, as we look at the secessionists and how they're combating that and combating the deity of Jesus Christ, he's bringing it back up so that they remember that, hey, this is who we are. We're Christ followers. That's why we exist. This is our nature. This is what we're doing. And so because of Christ, your sins are done away with. You've been redeemed, and you have a propitiator and an advocate before the Father. You're white as snow, and you're seen as righteous. And again, because of Christ. And I want to camp just there real quick because of Christ. That is more than anything. Paul talks about it as he goes to the Corinthians that he preaches nothing but Christ crucified. That is our mantra as Christians. All glory be to Christ because there's nothing that we could do. Christ did it all for us. Even if legalistically you walked the way of justification and you followed the commandments and you looked at the Levitical law and followed it just to, to a key It doesn't matter because that doesn't save you. What saves you is the blood of Jesus Christ, which covers your sins. So that's why he's pointing that out. That's why he wants to start there as he addresses the entire congregation. Because we're redeemed, we're adopted, we're purchased, we're delivered, and we've been made new through Christ. And you know, through Christ, all things are possible. And we see this in Matthew 19, 25 through 26. How then can we be saved? And Jesus answered them, with man, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. And God himself made salvation possible. So the, the very next thing he says as, as he moves on from uh, the little children overview, he moves into, I'm writing to you fathers because you know him who is from the beginning. And this goes back to chapter 1. 
Chapter 1 of 1 John says, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hand concerning the word of life. That's a reference to Jesus. He's, he's completely filling that with Jesus. That's who has given us the message. That's who was made manifest. That's who we've seen and gave us this word of life. And what he's doing is trying to remind them of this. Hey, I know that there's this heretical doctrine that's coming around, okay? But I'm writing to you because you know him who is from the beginning. And that beginning is the beginning of their walk with Jesus Christ as they were given this word of life that made them new creations. So he's referring back to that. He's reminding them, hey, not only do I know that you've been forgiven for Christ's name's sake, but I'm writing to you to remind you of he who is from the beginning. Remember this doctrine that we agree on, this, this person that we worship, Jesus Christ, stay here. So he's, he's bringing that back up. He's reminding it. And, you know, it's, it, to me, like a, a reference point is a really good thing. And, I mean, it's not like a checkpoint in a video game. But to, to bring that back up, like, uh, to me, I don't know. Some of y'all are coffee drinkers. Some of y'all are not coffee drinkers. I am a coffee drinker for the most part. And I like, uh, I used to because I wanted to be really fresh with my coffee, I would grind beans every day, which I still do that, but I'd grind beans every day and then I'd pour a French press and then I would wash my French press and I would enjoy my three cups of coffee because that's how much it gives you. And it was like what I liked. It was like my morning ritual of when I would read, I would drink a French press with it and then wash it. Um, but then I, I figured out that that was too much work. I didn't want to do a French press anymore, so I moved on. And, and through that, I, I learned while I was trying to not break the bank because I don't have that much money as a college student, um, I wanted to still drink coffee. So I started to move on to Folgers. Which, Jeremy, how good is Folgers coffee? It is so bad. Is Folgers so bad. is the worst. Matter of fact, I went out to buy coffee from Men's Equip tonight, and I got in the lane, and I saw the Folgers, and I just went, no, I'll buy something else. I'm not going to get Folgers from Men's Equip tomorrow morning. Um, but it's just awful. But, and this is, this is the only thing, at least in my mind, that Folgers has going for it, and it's that when I drink Folgers coffee, I, I don't just think of Folgers coffee. What, what I think of is 5.30 in the morning at Men's Equip. And I think of 3.30 a.m. when I'm on a youth trip and I'm trying to stay up. Or I, or I think about sitting around a fire with coffee. And I said because the coffee itself reminds me of the good that comes with it. So Paul's bringing up, hey, remember who you have known from the beginning. Because you have known him from the beginning, he's giving them that reference point. Of, it's Jesus Christ, okay? So Jesus Christ is, again, who he's reminding him of. And Y'all, as John is assuring them in this book, he just continually says, uh, points them back to Jesus, points them back to their original faith, faith, points them back to the assurance they have in him. He's reminding them, ultimately, of the reason they exist as a body of believers. So, then he moves on, because you have become the evil one, and this is actually one of the things that is repeated, it's repeated again at the end, but because you have, I'm writing to you young men, because you have overcome the evil one, this is a very present thing, okay? They have overcome the devil. The spirit uh, is active within them in that action. Because the spirit is within them, the devil doesn't have another claim on them. And we see that in Romans 8 and 9, the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead exists within us. <clears throat> that spirit has a claim on us because we've been bought by the blood of Christ, okay? So he's writing to them, um, because you have overcome the evil one, he's again telling them, you, you, you've moved past this. You, you, you're not a, a claim of the world anymore. The devil holds nothing on you. Bef before God, before his wrath, he will not condemn you because you stand by the blood of the Lamb. And, and we see this, um, again, that this reminder that we've been overcome later on in the book in 1 John 4, 4. He who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. 
So next, he points out again um, to the fathers. I write to you fathers. I'm sorry. Now he writes back to the children, uh, to the congregation as a whole. I write to you children because you know the Father. And we know in Matthew 11, 27, uh, Christ says, All things have been handed over to me by the Father. No one knows the Father except the Son, and no one knows the Son except the Father in any of those um, who the Father has chosen to reveal himself to. And we see it again in Luke uh, 10, and John 14, 6, with Jesus being the way, the truth, and the life. And then he goes on to claim himself and his Father as one being. The Father that they know has been revealed to them through Jesus Christ. And this is, again, going back to the center of this text in the beginning in chapter 1, the word that has been made manifest, that you are to trust your lives with Jesus Christ as your Savior. That that has been made manifest is that there is a way to the Father, and it's through the Son. So he's writing to them, children, because you know the Father, again, completely aware of and understanding of the fact that the people he is writing to trust Jesus Christ as their Savior and have, uh, their debts have been paid. So this is, this is kind of funny to me um, as, as we move on. I write to you fathers because you know him who is from the beginning. Again, that's revamped. We've already been over that point. And he says, I write to you young men because you are strong. And strong, of course, the first thing I think of is like a Jim Candy person, somebody who's just this big buff guy who does a lot of reps and has, huge, uh, has a huge max or whatever, can squat at least 500 pounds. And that's the guy I think of, but obviously... I don't know. There's, there's a little bit about like sports in the Bible, but typically it doesn't talk about reps and what you can lift, um, in case you were wondering. Um, so obviously John's not talking about that. He gives absolutely zero about their ability to lift them out of weight and how many reps they can do. But what he is getting at is, I write to you, young men, because you are strong. What does that mean? They have a spiritual strength. And you know, where is it found? Scripture tells us. In Ephesians 6.10, finally be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. And then again, Philippians 4.13, which is probably the most awfully quoted verse in the Bible. But I, I gave it a little bit of context with verse 12 because I didn't want to just completely blow it apart. Um, I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance, and need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Again, he says in Colossians 1, 9 through 12, And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you might be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all the power according to his glorious might. So I, I bring up these three verses, and you know, I, I can go on in Timothy 2, 1. You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus the strength he's referring to the young men is because the Spirit has had a work within them. They are not themselves anymore. And, and, and 2 Corinthians talks that in chapter 5, of that you have been made a new creation. The Spirit that is at work in them strengthens them. The reason they've overcome the devil is because the Spirit is alive within them. Jesus Christ and God the Father and the Holy Spirit, the, the, the Trinity, this confusing makeup that we know of as the God of the universe is a very present God within the lives of his children. God doesn't, and one of the things, when you talk to anybody who doubts because they're suffering and whatnot, is this idea that God like, just kind of lets it go, steps back and sees the suffering and doesn't care and is apathetic to that. But we have a Savior who descended and lived in this world. He, he saw the suffering, he saw the slavery, and he felt the pain. He, he felt the pain of... Uh, of his father's wrath being poured on him as for this momentary time he was separated from the spiritual love of the father. 
So we have a very present God, and as John is writing them, because you are strong, he's telling them, I've seen it. I know the Spirit is at work within you. I know that you, you love Jesus Christ and that your allegiance is to God and that you, the Spirit is working in your community. And so as he's combating the secessionists at the time, as he's combating these people who don't believe in Jesus Christ, the people he's getting at now, he's saying, hey, th- this part of the letter, what I'm saying is this. I, I've seen your faith. I've seen your fruit. I've seen it be worked out. I know you know Jesus Christ. I know you know the Father. I know that you have been saved because it's so evident in the lives of the believers in the community. So he's commending the young men and the people of, this, uh, of the Johannine community for their spirit and the fact that they get their strength from the Lord. That's what we saw in 2 Timothy, strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And we, and we saw in Colossians 9, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might. And then Philippians 4.13, again, like it's on the back of wrestling church, y'all. That makes absolutely no sense. But like it's this, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. In Ephesians 16, when Paul is ending his letter to Ephesus, he says, But finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. The strength of the believer, the spiritual discipline of the believer, the spiritual maturity of the believer... All of that is wrapped up in the spirit within you. And I'm telling you, the spirit works. There, there's one of my favorite things, and Charles Spurgeon used to approach the pulpit, and every time as he approached the pulpit, the last thing he would say before he either opened up a prayer or looked at the Bible, was he would just stop to himself and he would say, I believe in the power of the Holy Spirit. And I, actually, I didn't even think about that uh, later on. It's not anywhere in my notes, but I almost said that uh, when I was praying earlier, because that's, that is so evident. That, that's what has to be important here. There, there's not an aspect of me getting up here or Brandon getting up here last week or if Joseph gets up here or when Randy's here and he gets up here where any of us think that we're going to convince y'all to love Jesus Christ because of how brilliantly we've paid it out. Especially when, if, even if you do, you get into that logic and we, we give you some false gospel that's filled around, you name it, you claim it, you get what you want, and you start believing that Jesus will give you everything you want and you get there, well then you start looking at the Bible and you see the thing where it says, hey, you have to lay down your life. To love you. you have to pick up your cross. And so the power of this man, you are strong. He's commending them because of their faith in Jesus Christ. He's commending them because in their community, it is so present that the Spirit is at work. That is our only hope. And I don't mean even as a youth group. I mean in every one of our equipped groups, in every single one of our church functions, our hope for the community that we can reach the people outside, our hope as we go to Indonesia. All right, guys, our hope against anything is Jesus Christ and that God is an active God whose Holy Spirit works. And it's funny, we go through these times, whether it be in America or the world, where things get dim and people start to have this philosophical conversation of, are things getting worse? Is this world getting worse as it progresses? Y'all, this world has always been bad since the fall in the garden. Sin entered the world and it became a bad place. Okay? And so we, we want to debate it and we want to look at it. And what's awesome and the beauty and the mercy and the grace that we see in that is every once in a while, like in the Great Awakening, we see dudes like Jonathan o, uh, Edwards come up and we see God flex his muscles and use somebody. And I mean, don't get me wrong, he uses people every day. He uses tools, even ministry with you and your classmates, even ministry with us when we're at work, when I'm in cl- class with students. Like he uses tools. But it's just crazy that this mercy and grace is shown sometimes when the Father just flexes and says, look, I can work. 
And we saw that when Jesus Christ was walking on the earth and he would preach and he'd have 10,000 people coming around him because they saw what he could do and they knew he was who he said he was. We saw that, guys, if, you just, if you'll spend some of your time going to the book of Acts and we see the apostles going around and just teaching and just hundreds of people, thousands of people following them. And it's for what John's saying here, because you were strong, but where do you get that strength? In the Lord. The Lord strengthens us. His Holy Spirit within us is what strengthens us. And so then John moves on and he says, because the word's abide in you, and he says it again to the young men, uh, and the word of God abides within you. So what is the word of God? Again, we're not, we're not jumping back to the Mosaic Law. John makes no points to that here, but it's two things, or really three, entrusting Christ with your soul to loving your brother and furthering the gospel. And y'all, the best way to love your brother, and I mean this, to love the neighbors around you, to love people well, is to share Jesus Christ with them. And that's, that's probably like the corniest you thing, but it's true. The best way to love somebody. And I, and I know it's uncomfortable, and I know it's embarrassing. Y'all, I got, uh, it was JT was there with me a couple of weeks ago. I stood before, um, it, it was a college, like 30 or 40 people, but I stood before and I started talking about what biblical creationism looked like. And whatever you think, they're like, I got up there, and the very first thing I said to them was, hey, you know what? I have 20 minutes to say what I want. That's the title of this presentation. I have 15 to 20 minutes to say whatever I want and tell you why I believe it. And so what I'm going to tell you right now, the very first point before you can listen to anything else I say, is I believe in the authority of Scripture. And that's it. Some of you in here are going to look at me and say, well, he's one of those old country people who thinks like uh, the rain doesn't come from uh, above, that God sends it when he wants to, or that that age was started because God was mad at whatever. And like, that's what they think. And I'm serious. That that sounds so uh, backwards. But like, people have this weird understanding when you say, no, I believe in the full authority of the text. But y'all, that's it. That's what we have. That's the only reason any of us get up here to teach is because we, we believe this book that has been brought down generation to generation that was written by over 100 authors throughout 6,000 years. This book that is the good news of God crafting a redemptive plan and offering, offering his son as the redeemer, offering himself as the redeemer. And it's just beautiful. So as he's telling this, I, I, I'm writing to you because the word abides within you. They have entrusted Christ. They are loving one another as brothers. And, and like this comes up, so John writes three letters to this community. In 2 John 1 through 2, he, the elder, the elect lady and her children, whom I love in truth, not only I, but also who know the truth, because of the truth that abides in us and will be with us forever. Again, he does it in 3 John. For I rejoice greatly when the brothers came and testified to your truth, as indeed you are walking in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. What does that mean? That they are walking with the knowledge of, with the understanding of, that Jesus Christ has died for them. That not only did Jesus Christ die for them, he came back from the grave and ultimately defeated death for his children. So he's, he, he's overcome and he's commending them with this understanding of uh, the word abide. That's why I'm writing to you. Because there's hope here because the word abides within you. The true word of God that Jesus Christ saves. And then lastly, oh, this is beautiful. It's the second time he uses this phrase, because you, were, you have overcome the evil one. So the first one was a very present thing that actively in their day-to-day, they are overcoming the evil one as they go out and do good works, as they're loving one another. This one is a little bit different as it's a previous, the, 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 um, I don't remember exactly what the tense is called. But as he's speaking this, what he's talking about is death has been defeated. I'm writing to you because you have overcome the evil one. Ultimately, 
your condemnation, your wrath has been taken care of completely. It's been handled. So he's writing to them because they've overcome the evil one indefinitely. The devil doesn't have a snare on them anymore. 1 Peter 5, 6 through 11 tells us... um, Sorry. This, see, this is one benefit to having uh, technology, is that you can just tap up a verse. Um, but typically, I like to look it up. Um, man, anyone have a Bible? I'm having trouble with these pages. Yeah. Anyone there? I love these pages, but they just don't turn very well. Yeah, you got it for JT? Are you there, Lily? Lily, read it for me. All right, y'all, listen to JT. Hold on. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. So reminded you walk forward, your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory, Jesus Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you to him be dominion forever and ever. Amen. Thank you, JT. Guys, the, re- the reason I wanted to read that, the reason I want to focus on that text is, is that it, it's addressed there. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around you like a roaring, wire, a roaring lion seeking to devour you. But resist him firm in your faith, knowing that at the proper time, <clears throat> the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. So the last thing he writes here is just a reminder of that. So why the devil does prowl around you in that resist him stay firm in your faith in jesus christ knowing that when god sees that time is perfect he will restore you he will exalt you he will confirm you he will strengthen you and he will establish you god doesn't let and god does not let the children whom he has paid for be taken from them and he never has so again as we sum up tonight as we look at the end I want to talk about this entire address that John has made to them. I'm writing to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. I'm writing to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning, and I'm writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I write to you, children, because you know the Father. I write to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you are strong, and the word of God abides in you, and you have not overcome the evil one. Nothing about this is him condemning. Is him being angry? Is him rebuking or upset? He's telling them good things. He's encouraging them. When I, when I was a senior, uh, my wrestling year, I, I had a bunch of injuries, but when we went into the state tournament, um, we, had, we qualified 13 guys. So in wrestling, you have to qualify uh, people to have them wrestle in the final tournament. So we had 13 guys. The full lineup's 14. And every day, so every match scores point, every individual's match. So you get three points for a decision, four points for a major decision, which I know you don't know what that means, five points for attack, and six, point, six points for a pin. So obviously you're going for the pin. So the more pins you get, the, the more pins you get, the more points you get. So the way this tournament works is that you have two days. And on the first day, you have like a team score, and you see who's winning and who's losing. At the end of the first day of the state tournament, my senior year, 
it was awesome because we knew we won. There was no way anybody was going to catch us. There was no way whatsoever. We were so far ahead that even if the next day we lost every single one of our matches and everyone else in the tournament, like the number two team, it was Oak Mountain. If Oak Mountain pinned all of the guys they had left, they weren't going to jump us because we, were, we had won. There was nobody left to, to, to compete with us because it was over. It had been finished. So what happens is you, we start, and this is, this is so lame, but like, even though you want to win as an individual – Wrestling is really a team sport. So there's an effort to, like, you don't really care about your matches anymore, but, like, that's when Coach Seegers has to, like, get with us. Look, look, y'all. And Coach Seegers is a lot more intimidating than me. He has these piercing baby blue eyes that are just terrifying. They still scare me, and I'm, I've been gone from school for three years now. Um, but he would get in our face, but look, it's over. The tournament's won. But y'all still need to compete. You still need to wrestle. You still need to go out there and give it your all. And I say that because nothing about that was condemning. The victory had been accomplished. Everything that we had been working for had been done. We were fighting for a team championship. But there was still work to be done. There was still stuff for us to do. There was still our work that we needed to accomplish for ourselves. And and I'm not putting anything on you. What I'm saying is, as John's writing this letter, as he's penned these two verses, or three verses, this is in no way condemning. It's in no way angry. He's writing to them to encourage them. He's reminding them, yes, your sins have been forgiven for his name's sake. Yes, you, you do know him who is from the beginning. You are strong. And he's still urging them because of what is going on in the atmosphere, because of the secession at the time, still press on. Remember Jesus Christ. Stay strong in Jesus Christ. Stay strong in your faith and press on. Because, y'all, this life, it's, it's hard, it's tough, it's bitter, and sometimes it's broken. Absolutely broken. Families are broken. Relationships are broken. We ourselves, whether it be insecurity, fighting with spouses, loved ones, whatever it is, we're broken. Everything about since sin has come to the world is broken. It's not perfect as it should have been. But what we're reminded of is the hope we have in eternity as Jesus Christ has saved his children from the wrath of God. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for tonight, Lord. Thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, who has spared his children, Lord, who, who, who has saved us from eternity, Lord. I thank you that he delivered us uh, to you, that we can come before you, that we can pray to you, that we are able to reach out and know that you are a very loving and active God in our lives. Father, I pray that we may be like the Johannine community, Lord, that we may just be established in the word, just reminded of the word that you've given to us, reminded of your son, Jesus Christ, and that we would live in everything we do with that being our motivation to glorify God because of what you've done for us because of who you are. Father, I just, I pray that as we go throughout our week, as we go uh, into the weekend, as we go um, into our small groups, Lord, that you would be with us, Lord, that you would work and that if, if anyone here doesn't know Jesus Christ as their personal Savior, that they may come to know him. Father, I, I pray that they would have a, just a, a thirst and a hunger to read your word, to truly know the nature of your character and just who you are. Father, I thank you for what you've accomplished, and it's in your son's holy name I pray. Amen.